So we're back again for the Homestretch podcast and we're joined by a man who doesn't really need much of an introduction. A lot of us will know Peter Knight by his name. So thank you, Peter, for coming on. Well, um, I'm very, very grateful, Holly. And uh, thank you, Holly and Ian, for inviting me. And, uh, um, you know, thrilled to be here. Thank you. Among many things, he is not only founder of Property Academy and the EA Masters, but there's lots else to talk about. Not most of all, you're an author as well. So there's so much we've got to cram into this episode. And Ian, I wonder if you wanted to start by asking Peter a few questions. I'd love to. So, Peter, thank you, as we've already said, but it is, uh, it's great to have you on. And I know the listeners are really going to enjoy this uh, this session. I'd like to go right back to the beginning, Peter, because um, I know the man and the myth and the legend that you are today. <laughs> but where did it all start and how did you get into this industry? Well, it, I feel a little a, a, a tad like shallow hell in admitting this, but uh, my uh, when I was when I was a, a teenager doing my A levels, I was seventeen. My then girlfriend's father um, owned the most beautiful house. Um, in fact, well, possibly the most beautiful house even now that I've ever seen. It was a moated medieval hall with a with a, an Elizabethan timber extension, and you had to go over a bridge to get in onto the driveway. Uh, he drove an Aston Martin. Um, his wife, my girlfriend's mother, had a Dolomite Sprint, which uh, Hollywood, that means nothing to you, but but Ian might just remember that it was quite a cool sort of car yeah. back in the day. They holidayed at their, 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 their home in St. Lucia. And I turned around to Michael Burling and I said, Michael, what do you do? And he said, I'm an estate agent. And I thought, I'm having some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that probably that's not particularly... Uh, uh, it ch ch chimes with the times of now, but back in those days, um, you know, that was it was like a a wonderful moment. And and to be direct, I had a I had a window of opportunity um, as I saw it between taking my A levels and getting the results of my A levels, because I had about four or five weeks where I could say that I've taken economics and history and geography A levels <laughs> before the results came out. So I basically, as soon as I did my A-levels, wrote to every estate agent in the area I lived. I lived in the northwest of England in Cheshire. And I wrote to every single estate agent apart from my then girlfriend's father's agency, because I didn't want to basically uh, uh, use, use uh, his contacts to help me. I wanted to make it on my own. And I was lucky enough to be offered a couple of jobs. Um, actually, funny enough, now... Um, Looking back on it, they were both private companies then. But one was J.R. Bridgefords, which of course is Bridgefords part of Countrywide Connell's Group now. Yeah. And the other one was was Samuel Rains and Son, which is the job I took. And Samuel Rains merged with Reed's Rains, and of course was subsequently acquired by NSL. So right. I could have ended up working for either of the major corporates, but I actually ended up uh, at, at Samuel Rains and Son Heel Green Office as a trainee negotiator, earning a thousand pounds a year. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and working six days a week in those days, Ian. Um, Saturdays were, were were normal, so it was a Monday to Saturday uh, uh, job. And I was seventeen, and um, I loved it, and I've uh, loved being in the industry ever since. Very similar story to mine, actually, although not not with the uh, the sports car and the posh house. Mine was probably a three bed terrace somewhere. But uh, seventeen YTS youth training scheme, twenty seven pounds fifty a week, no commission six days a week and had to be told by the boss not to come in certain weekends because probably like you fed it, I fell in love with it, which is interesting, isn't it? 
It is and, Ian, and, and you know, as you say, those days. Look, I mean, there's there's been there's a lot of things that have improved since those days, and and quite frankly, it was borderline slave labour in some respects. But but the one thing that was brilliant in those days was the training that we received, and the um, I, I, and I suppose the opportunity actually more than anything else. You know, I was lucky enough to become a manager of an office at 19. <laughs> was I a good manager? No. Do I look back and think of some of the things I did with, with, uh, with, uh, my gosh, with embarrassment, actually. Um, but, you know, the enthusiasm and passion paid off. And if you're prepared to put the hard yards in back then, a lot of firms were prepared to give you a go. And I'm, I'm still to this day very grateful to the then um, Reigns brothers, who who saw something in me, I suppose, at that time, and gave me a go and allowed me to run what was a, in effect a satellite office. It wasn't a huge one, and I was I was under the custodianship of a, a an associate partner who had been there for some time, um, not in the same office, but he would you know, he would call in on me every day and and and, and find out basically what what I was doing. But it was an incredible opportunity at nineteen. Then you know I'd worked there a couple of years to be um, to be given the, the man, a manager's role and. Uh, you know, and and loved it. The trouble is, the money that, that I was earning at that stage, well, there was no way I was having. I was going to have the old hall and uh, and the Aston Martin. Let me put it that way. So uh, I realised that 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 something had to had had to change uh, and uh, and moved on from there. But I loved it, Ian, and 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 still do. And um, before I ask the next question, what raw skills did you have in those days that you think are still very needed in today's world of a state agency? I think there's um okay, so I think that the, the skills that are needed now, mm. and I would like to think that I exhibited them then, it'd be for others to judge. I think the number one I think the number one trait, if I could use that word rather than skill, yeah, is is coachability. Ah. I think that um above everything else, people need to be able to be coached. And be, in other words, are prepared to adapt and to learn new and different things. And that was true then, and it's perhaps even more so now. Yeah. I think the second trait is um, not necessarily intelligence, because I'm not going to certainly suggest that I've got that in abundance, but I, I prefer the word savvy. Yeah. And I think that um, um, being savvy was was really, was really uh, useful and helpful, and, and it is today. I think the third uh, uh, character characteristic was is curiosity, actually. Okay. And um, I, and I feel that a state agency, you know, has always been about people and will always be about pe people. You know, Foxtons yeah. used to have the the best tagline I think in the industry when they used to say "people, not property." Uh, they've dropped it, but I thought it was a fantastic tagline and. You know, and curiosity to to find out about people and, and what's going on, I think is 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 a trait that's that's really really powerful. Work ethic. Um, yeah. I mean, I was I didn't I didn't apply that at school. I, I wasn't academic, and I knew I wouldn't trouble the examiners beyond the A levels. Yeah. Um, but I was prepared to graft, and 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 I actually worked six nights a week as a as a waiter in a in a hotel. Uh, for three years. So my first three years of, of a state agency were six days a week in the agency, six nights yeah. a week at um, at a hotel as a waiter, um, Sundays off. And that was that was the routine. But I didn't see it as hard work. I saw it as just, you know, that's just, I was just, quite frankly, it was amazing to be employed. Mm. Um, and then um, I suppose the final, the final thing is 
you know, people say about luck, um, and I don't know, I don't know actually how you define it, but I think success does. So maybe confidence, uh, and 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 the, and the comfort or confidence that comes from success and being able to draw on it and uh, and and to utilize it. So I think those would be the traits I look for in people today, and I, and I'd like to think that I had some of them um, uh, uh, in my early stages of my career. I certainly worked hard, that's a certain. Yeah, and that's that's uh, very significant. But there's lots of similarities with um, the words that you've chosen. I have to say, I'm gonna talk about this in a moment. You're a huge advocate of words. I love listening to you because you do tend to choose the perfect words for the sentence construction, well, which exactly. I also think is a significant skill in a state agency. But we'll touch on that in a moment. Okay. Um, coachability, savvy, curiosity, luck. I wrote down fortune favors the brave. Yeah. Um, because it does. Yeah. So you 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 do create your own luck. And that there's one that I've just added to it, which I think I think you probably have with you covered off with curiosity. But I've I I would have framed it maybe a little bit different uh, differently, which is a self learner. So I spoke to so I spoke to an agent this um, week, actually last week now, but I'm mentoring, and he said. I'm getting a bit bored of the valuations because they're all so similar. They're very mundane. And I, to, to which my question was, and I won't give the person's name, what's your conversion rate, please? <laughs> and they said, why is that relevant? I said, because dependent upon your conversion rate is whether they should be mundane or not. Because yeah. if you're winning everything, great. Be mundane for as long as you like. But if you're not, then you need to self-learn. Completely. And, and I think that, again, that whole learning piece, ironically, uh, perhaps I, I didn't enjoy my formal education, but my education subsequently I love. And uh, and I, in fact, just last week, I was on a course for two days um, on um, storytelling, actually, of all things. And uh, um, so I, I, I take my own medicine in terms of of continuous learning. And, and that's been a uh, something which um, you know, is really important to me. And and. and you know, one of the one of the great things about about what you've just described there, uh, Ian, is is people's preparedness, and hence the coachability bit. People's preparedness to adapt and to change. So, give you an example. Some years ago, um, I I lived in Wimbledon, um, Wimbledon Village, and um, I was approached by this um, agent uh, as to not a state agent, but actually a sports agent. Would I would I let my house out during Wimbledon? And um, I, I wasn't really that interested um, uh, in, the, in the idea, but then the agent mentioned the fee, and I went, so I'll come, on, come on in, let's have a chat then, shall we? And, and I found myself actually in Marbella on a sunbed, uh, actually watching the tennis, if truth be told, from there, which was, but anyway, um, the, but earning, earning quite a decent sum of money while sunning myself, which wasn't so bad. And the person who actually rented my house, I didn't know initially when the agent first approached me, but the person that rented my house was Roger Federer. Wow. And he actually won that year. And, and that, of course, this gives me the opportunity to say that uh, Mrs. Federer has slept in my bed. Uh, or as my <laughs> ex-wife prefers to say, because she can, she can say that Roger Federer slept in hers. So, you know, you, you take it whichever way you like to. But uh, <laughs> But what was amazing about Roger Federer, and as I say, he won that year. And so, you know, People will debate it whether he was the greatest of all time. Certainly, I, I, there's no debate that he was one of them. Yeah. And and uh, to my mind, he is. But that's you know, I'm biased. But he. Um, but what was interesting, my housekeeper at the time um, sort of looked after him and, and his and his wife um, while they were there, and they had uh, three three other guests staying with them in the house. 
all three of whom were coaches. And I asked uh, Fatima, my housekeeper, when I got back, you know, what was he like? He, and she said, oh, he was lovely. She said, not so keen on her, but he was lovely. I went, oh, OK, fair enough. And uh, I said, what did he do? She said, well, when he wasn't playing tennis, she said he watched videos. Uh, I said, OK, uh, what, 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 sort of, what sort of thing? She said, tennis. And basically what he would do, his routine was, unless he had a match scheduled, normally he, his, his matches would be scheduled later. I think you know, they don't start until sort of after lunchtime. So he would spend the morning practicing. And, and if it was a day where he wasn't playing, uh, he would extend that practice session. Um, and he would come back from the practice sessions with the coaches and they would critique the videos of the practice sessions. Right. And, you know, I've always thought that, you know, I compare Federer uh, and other top sports elite people, elite sports people, with, with how so many people, I'm afraid, in a state agency by comparison, do nothing of the same. You talk about that chap who's bored of, of marketing appraisals, yeah. uh, as I prefer to call them rather than valuations, but yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call them doesn't really matter. How often do people properly critique the way yeah. in which they uh, deliver what is the most important moment in a state agency? Yeah. And my guess is that the average critique of a marketing appraisal will be something along the lines of, walking back in the office and a colleague saying, did you get it? Yeah. And, and if it's yes, oh, well done, brilliant. And if, and if, and if, it, and if you didn't get it, uh, it would be, um, oh, you know, yeah, they've got somebody else, cheaper fee, yeah. uh, you know, and, 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 that, and that is about the extent of it. And one of the things that we strongly advocate is actually doing a Federer on the key moments in the state agency, yeah. after every single marketing appraisal, building in a 15-minute phone call straight after you've done it with a colleague. It doesn't have to be with a boss. You could double up with a colleague. But the colleague will just ask you questions like, okay, and so how did it go? Okay, what, what bits worked really well? We always start with that. So you might say, I was really pleased with my introduction. And I really like the way that we actually, uh, I positioned the pricing because it was quite tricky given the current marketplace of prices. And I was really pleased with that. And then, you know, and then, okay, what, what would be even better? And you might go, well, actually, I've, I've, I, can't, I fumbled a bit on the fee. I could tell that they were going to be challenging me on the fee. And, mm. you know, okay, oh, and then what, what might you do next time? What might you do differently? And, you know, over time, you and I buddying up like this would get to mm. know each other. And, um, I've seen this in Australia where every week they sit down in pairs and they discuss the market and they discuss what's going on and they basically help create dialogues, basically. Not scripts, but conversation topics. And they run them through with each other, role-playing to, to, to hone it so that when they go into someone's property, and let's, let's assume that you're in a market, a market with, let's say, where pricing is under pressure, maybe potentially price reductions are the order of the day, which is certainly the case in some of the markets that we operate in now. Um, you know, how do you how do you rehearse? You know, how can you get that message across really, really well? And that's that that's the sort of thing that that I feel really strongly about that uh, that agents don't do enough of. I completely agree with you. So back to a seventeen-year-old boy, I role played with my Glaswegian mother how to how to. Um, register an applicant, how to get a financial services appointment, you know, all of those sorts of things. And it's the old saying, isn't it? Don't practice till you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. Very um, true. Very true. 
The second point, I mean, back to your tennis, tennis analogy, the first time I was introduced to the strategy of the ladder of inf influence um, was um, when a tennis coach talked about how he ended up not being a professional because he lost a, a qualifying match and in, sat in the dressing room. He thought about the fact, oh, the, my backhand, that backhand, I lost that game because of that one particular backhand. So in training thereafter, he practiced his backhand, his backhand, his backhand, his backhand, his backhand, his backhand but failed to recognize that actually it was his forehand that was actually <laughs> the stroke that won him the most points in a game. Yeah. And so and so he actually started to concentrate on the wrong thing to do for self-development rather than focus on his strengths. Um, and I think that that's really key with agency, any business, but agency in particular, that you actually have to focus on the right things. Because as you quite rightly just said, Peter, people will say that they lose it on price and fee. Well, yeah. the reality is you don't lose it on either of those things. What you've lost on is the fact that you didn't understand your customer well enough to be able to explain the benefits and your services that suit their needs. Totally agree. Um, totally agree. And the, um, I mean, you know, picking up on that, our review process on everything we do, we call it www.ebi. And, yeah. and it stands for what worked well. Yeah. Even better if. Yeah, great. Yeah. Now, sometimes we'll add a, a second WW. So we'll, we always start with what worked well. And sometimes, if necessary, we'll add a second one, which is what went wrong. Okay. If, if, so if something did go wrong, and we all have things that go wrong, you know, we've had stuff that goes wrong. We, but if it's a normal scenario, what we what, what we always begin with is what worked well for that very reason. In other words, that we don't we don't admit the development further of the forehand. So we say, okay, and what was it about that before? You know, what was it about whatever it is that we do that worked well? And only when we've exhausted the WWWs, the what worked wells, do we then turn to the even better ifs. Yeah. And one of the things which we coach uh, our leaders to, to do is uh, for them to start with the what worked wells. Yeah. So it could be, Holly, what I really liked about the way you set up this webinar was how you documented all the things that Ian and you were going to ask me. And I really like the fact that you got the clear instructions around uh, how uh, we should uh, conduct ourselves. And, and, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go through all the, all the good things. Mm. And, and then I'd, I'd say to Holly, if, 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 if we were doing this together, I'd go, did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you feel went, went well that I haven't seen? And you might say, oh, yes, but actually, Peter, um, you know, I, I was really pleased with you know, the way that we actually managed to get the information out to everybody in this format. And that were, I, I agree, that was brilliant, brilliant. And then as a, if, if I'm in, in, in that leader role, I would then ask the, the person I was working with what they feel should be the even better ifs first. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because if they can surface all of them and I don't need to surface any of them, then great. Now, if they don't, if there's something which they admit, you know, that some sort of you know, big thing that happened, which quite frankly shouldn't have done, then then the leader needs to bring it up. And it's so much better, we find, to do it that way around. Mm. So that's, that's one of our coaching sort of methods is always starting with what works well. And then only after we've exhausted that, let the person you're working with volunteer the even better ifs. Uh, and, you know, it, we brilliant find technique. Well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely brilliant technique. So, so moving on, so you're a branch manager 21, so elevator pitch, just um, potted, potted history. Um, how did you arrive yes. at this day? And then so, we'll talk about property. Uh, so 
I found out what I found actually found out what my boss was earning. So back to this sort of rather shallow, materialistic individual, which I was then definitely, hopefully not quite so much now, but definitely was then. And I went, oh my God. And he was ancient. And by ancient, I mean he was like mid-30s, which was just properly ancient, you know. <laughs> when you're 19 years of age, it's like, oh my gosh. Um, so I decided that I uh I couldn't wait that long. Um and um so I started looking for jobs, and in those days, um it was newspapers. So um, I saw a job advertised in the Manchester Evening News for a sales negotiator working for Barrett Homes, the house builder. Yeah. And they were offering me the grand principal. It was a heck of a lot of money back in those days on target earnings of £10,000 a year. Now, bearing in mind, I had doubled what I was earning uh, when I started. In fact, I, I was earning two and a half grand then. But to go from two and a half to ten was quite a substantial jump. Yeah. So I applied for the job. Of course, what I didn't realize it was it was ninety percent commission based and all the rest of it. However, you know, you're, you're, we're all young months, right? So in I go and uh, and started selling new homes. And this is where the luck bit comes in because what I didn't realize, I was only told afterwards, was that they were actually looking to try and find somebody to manage a relatively new process that they'd introduced at that time called part exchange. And they wanted somebody to in-house to go and assess and appraise the value of the properties that they were buying in exchange yeah. for the new ones. And so I did about six months on site, which was, God, trips to the dentist have been more pleasurable. It was just so boring. Um, and then they basically gave me the chance to take on this role as part exchange controller. And that was just brilliant. Um, and I was traveling the patch I was working in, Barrett, Manchester at that time was the most successful of all the, the Barrett regions. Uh, they pioneered everything. It was a fantastic business. Mm. And um, so Laurie Barrett was an, a, an incredibly doer, but amazingly infl brilliant inspirational figure for me anyway. He, he, uh, he, he, um, he drove everybody really hard, but by God, he made you feel like you were just, you know, top of the pops every day he was fantastic so i did that job and then again luck you know the sales director of my of, the, of barrett manchester got promoted to barrett nottingham which if manchester was the was the kingpin nottingham was the runt of the litter of the barrett stable at that time but anyway he got promoted to md there and and he phoned me up one day and he said right lad i want you to come as my sales manager so i i, I ended up going to nottingham uh, and becoming sales manager for Barrett uh, in the East Midlands, really. Um, and again, my first real experience of management, uh, Ian, I had probably 20 or so um, sales negotiators, um, a field sales manager, I had a part exchange controller, a mortgage controller in those days. So I probably had about 30 people with administrators uh, in, in my team. And, you know, at the time, again, I was still quite young. So I was, I was in my early 20s. Um, so, you know, this is quite a, you know, looking back on it, I just got really lucky. Um, and again, it was one of those situations where you grab, you, you know, you grab the opportunity, don't you? You know, if you're given it, you grab it and you make something of it. And, you know, you put it in the hard yards and um, by God, we worked hard. You know, it was seven days a week and it was, it was, it was getting up silly o'clock and going and going, not even thinking twice about being in the office at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. It was just what we did, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I loved it. And, um, you know, in fact, there are people back from back then um, who you know, I still have, relate, you know, friendships with and contact with. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, was a, it was a fantastic time. 
But the trouble was, uh, the, the, at the time, Barrett was expanding and, and they wanted every board to be filled. Hmm. And because my MD had been a sales director, he actually didn't want a sales director. Our sales manager, he didn't really want to have a sales director. But he thought to himself, well, I've got to have one. I may as well have Peter. Hmm. So he, he said to me, you know, would you like the job? And I said, well, yeah, sure, not the, I mean, I was, I was pretty chuffed to be sales manager. Anyway, Barrett vetoed it on the basis of my age and just said, we can't have someone of his age and lack of experience as a director. It's just not possible. Hmm. So my, my, my MD, Jeff Faulkner, his name was, he said to me, Peter, you've got to get yourself a job offer as a sales director and then I can force the issue. Right. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave Barrett. I, I loved it. So I wrote off, it was in the Estates Gazette, I wrote off for a job as new homes director for an estate agency called Jackson Property Services in South East London. Yeah. And I rocked up for this interview, and I'll never forget Alan Robinson, who's still today a very good friend of mine, um, who, of course, runs uh, Robinson and Jackson estate agents. And yeah. his son, Tony, is actually the um, sort of chap who runs it really day to day now. And he's a member of Property Academy. So it's a lovely link I still have with that company. Um, but uh, I'll never forget Alan Robinson saying to me, he said, I don't think you want this job, do you? He said, uh, you can't stop talking about Barrett and how amazing it is. He says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go away and write to me and tell me exactly what I've got to do to get you. So I wrote this letter with 15 things, many of the material, uh, but not just. But then I was, sort of, I, was, I, was in a, I was in a transition phase. So, uh, 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 so all these things, and I'll never forget all fourteen. The first fourteen just came back with yes, 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 yes. And I'm thinking, damn, you know, I remember, I remember pitching the salary at twenty grand. Why didn't I pitch it at twenty five? You know, so, uh, all these things. Do, 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 do. The last one, and I was cheeky. Last one was I, I asked for equity, and okay. he said it's a it's a no for the moment, but something we'll talk about in the future. Okay, and. I went down uh, to, to have another meeting with them to discuss it all and still hadn't intended to take the job. Um, I was off, you know, I was offered the position. I forced the issue with Barrett. I was offered the sales director's role, but I then decided that, no, I really like this very forward thinking estate agency. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And so uh, that was, that was, um, yeah. So 19, 1984, I think that was 84, 85. I joined uh, Jackson property services and, uh, that was that was really, again, I was so lucky. Uh, what a company! Hmm. You know, we were the first to be called property services. We 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 tried to have some clear water between what we did and what an estate agent did. Yeah, we were nine to seven, seven days a week. All wow. our cars were branded. Yeah. All our teams wore uniforms. We had a, an eight thousand square foot training center. And anybody joining us would spend four weeks in there before they're allowed near a branch. And we thought it was really sort of cutting edge. We actually, I remember we had this, this photograph of a high street, one of our high streets. It was backlit and the, the, the lighting was on a timer. And so it looked like you were gazing out of an estate agent's window. And during the day, uh, it got slightly darker as, as, as the light faded uh, to create the impression of being in an office. Um, uh, um, and everything was we had a system for everything you know there was, was pre-computers really they existed but certainly we didn't have crms or anything like that yeah. but so everything had a system and you could go into any one of the offices that we had and it would you know there, were, there would be four filing cabinets and four drawers in each filing cabinets numbers one to 16 and you knew what would be in number eight and you knew what would be in number 12 it mm. was all Everything had a system. It was absolutely 
uh, drilled into us. Um, and and again, you know, how lucky was I to work in that environment mm. and to work with two um, inspirational people, Pete Jackson, Alan Robinson, two of the most inspirational people I've ever worked with. So lucky to work with them. And and they and again, unknown to me, they were looking to uh, exit the business and they were looking for somebody younger, which is what I was then, believe it or not, um, to um, to run it. And so Pete moved offshore to Guernsey in anticipation of sales so he could take full advantage of the tax. Alan built a property in La Manga and spent six months of the year there. And basically, I got given the reins um, to, to run it. And and again, out of my depth, I mean, completely and utterly embarrassing. At each, each stage of my career, it's just been embarrassing in terms of responsibility I've been given. Um, mm. But, you know, the, the common trait, I suppose, was just absolute love of the business and desire yeah. to, to do the best that I could I could do. And the and all of the other skills that we mentioned earlier on. Coachability, well, curiosity and luck. Yeah, well, so definitely the curiosity bit and, and, yeah. and, and uh, incredible luck. I mean, I could have worked with some real bozos. I just happened to work with it. each. I've only, I've only had three jobs before we're going on my own. Um, and each person I worked with was 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 brilliant. So I just got really lucky. Well, I think you make your own luck in fairness, but that's uh, another conversation for another time. So how did that, how did that uh, end? And when did you end up going on your own and setting up Property Academy? So we sold to the Halifax. At the time we were being, uh, you know, all the big agencies were being courted and um, we, were, uh, we, we were, we had three basically who were, you know, really wanting us. And we, we did a deal with the Halifax. And uh, I remember I really truly believed that we could do something and I wanted to, and I was really excited about the future. By this stage, I had a stake in the business, but it was a relatively small stake. I had enough money, um, you know, not not to not to retire on, but I had I had more money than than I thought I'd have at that age. But I loved the job and I loved what I did. Anyway, we did a complete. Uh, we were responsible for the whole of the rebrands. So we had six hundred and ten offices in total, not JPS in those, but Halifax Property Services. Hmm. We did the whole of the rebrand and. Um, we were, you know, it, we, we were a real driving force in 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 that in that. Uh, in that business anyway long story short i um i did something inappropriate um in that i gave a guy a hundred thousand pound bonus and didn't just give him a hundred thousand bonus hired the theater royal jewelry lane to uh, jonathan ross who was then up and coming with his yeah. new show called the last resort on channel four to present it and the check was like the site you know those great big charity checks it was a yeah. huge great check and we had the pipes and drums of the Royal Scots Guards bring in this, this check. And the next day, I get a phone call from the, the then boss of Halifax Estate Agency. And he, and he said, Peter, he said, what on earth do you think you're doing? Is this right? You're giving somebody 100 grand. He's earned more than the chief executive. And I said, well, I said, that's the chief exec's fault. Not my problem. It's not my problem. <laughs> and he goes, you can't do it. I said, well, I can. He said, well, we want you up here now. He said, we want to see you tomorrow. It's like being back at school, you know. I went, fine. I knew by then it was all going wrong anyway. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I went up there and uh, I remember him saying to me, you have no authority. I said, I do actually. You know, here's the business plan that you signed off. And in the business plan, and I remember I had six regional directors reporting to me at that time. And John, who'd earned the hundred grand, right, was the big winner. There was a couple who'd earned twenty as bonuses, right, and there were three who'd earned nothing. And I remember saying to to this chap, "The trouble is with you lot. You'd have rather we all earn the same amount of money, yeah. Right? But we work on a meritocracy, 
And this chap has absolutely delivered a, 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 an, an incredible performance. And we want the reason why we, we hired Theatre or Drury Lane is we wanted the three, four hundred people that we had in our firm at that stage yeah. to all believe that they could similarly earn that sort of money yeah. and have that opportunity to do so. Because this chap had been with us since being a negotiator. You know, he'd worked his way up through the ranks. And so Halifax and I agreed that I would go on garden leave because I actually resigned. I just said, I can't deal with your mm. institutional mentality. And uh, and that's when I went on my own. And uh, wow. um, yeah, not look back. That was, a, that was 89. That was uh, November 89. What a fabulous story. Mm. I mean, it's, a, it's a great story. Uh, to a lesser scale, at Countrywide, as the, as the MD of Countrywide, you used to get a um, budget to drive activity, as you'll know. And all of the other MDs used to offer twenty pounds per MA booked, and you know, you know, assess it across the business. And and I did something very similar on a very much lesser scale, but with permission, so I didn't have to resign. <laughs> uh, which was I would just have a league table and a competition, which was a budget, a performance against budget, taking into consideration different sizes of the different branches, and then the winner would go on a two-week holiday to Barbados. Brilliant. And the only proviso of it was, and I can, I can remember the chap that won it, a chap called Adam down in Bournemouth, in this particular instance, the only proviso was is that he had to come on stage and he had to tell people about his holiday experience. That was the only proviso. Fantastic. Love it. And it's the same philosophy, isn't it? Same culture, because you can create a culture of drive and determination and recognition and reward. Completely. I mean, we were... We were um... You know, again, it was a driven business. Uh, maybe that's a common a common theme. Actually, thinking about it, Ian, um, we were the business was driven, and it was driven by uh, results. It was driven yeah. by uh, accomplishment, but it wasn't it wasn't a hire him and fire him regimen. It was very much a case of actually believing in people's uh, capability. And yeah. I look back on that now, and what I do now. And and I, and that that was where the the seeds of what we do now and have done for the last sort of fifteen years or so were sown, because my personal belief is that everybody, every individual, and every company has unfulfilled potential. Mm. And whether you're Roger Federer on the tennis court, Ian, Ian McKenzie at the Guild, whoever you are, you have unfulfilled yeah. potential. Right, we've all got it. Yeah. And and my sense is that. Um, um, what we do, what I, the reason I exist is to inspire people to fulfill their potential. And that's what I was given a chance to do at Jackson Property Services. And I think because of my age, it enabled um, others of a similar age and background, because I didn't have a, a formal background, because, you know, we'd just come out of the era of surveyors, you know, being an RICS and all of this stuff. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not decrying that there's a place for, for, for that, but it wasn't what we did. We were a sales organization, yeah. you know, and we enabled younger people and, and a lot of women, because at the time it was a very male orientated business. Yeah. And by the time I, by the time I left, uh, left the company in, ma in management positions, um, almost two thirds were female in, and, and, and our, our, our board, our, our operational board, uh, was over half was female and this was unheard of in those days i mean it was just it just was not it was and i remember thinking well why would you why would you not tap into 50 percent of the employment pool that is available why wouldn't you yeah and um we found that women were uh, then 
on average better the best women spank the guys well not literally I'm sorry that's inappropriate but, the, <laughs> but in, a, in a in a business sense you know yeah. they just absolutely would 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 um would achieve numbers that the, the and and they actually brought the blokes up. So you had this sort of this sort of benefit of having yeah. Yeah. Um, some some really really brilliant females who were able to I think just drive the standards up. I agree, Holly. Before we go and talk about the property academy, which I really want to move on to now, what have you heard? Yeah, well, I think that we should perhaps break this up into another episode. I'd love to get Peter back for a bonus episode. So I think we wrap this one up and have, I think that people are going to listen back to this. Business owners are going to listen back and make so many notes and implement so many things into their business. I think people who are fresh faced into the industry are going to take a lot of inspiration from, especially like you say, Ian, just some of the language that you use and having that curiosity and that coachability. I think those are the key two words for me from this episode. So let's come back um, for a bonus episode and we will learn more about EA Masters and Property Academy and see if we can get all that in 10 minutes. Is that okay with you guys? Perfect. Brilliant. Thanks so much for this one, Peter. I'll speak to you soon. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks for time, guys.